You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We're in this just really important conversation about where we're headed as a church and what's important to us. And um, this is part two today, part two of three. And that means that next Sunday is our last Sunday with just one service under one roof together in worship. And that's that's hard. There's a lot of hard things about that, about uh, change and about uh, making adjustments and maybe not seeing uh, certain people in the same service every week. And so there'll be some adjustments, but God's doing such good things in our church and um, it's an important direction for our church, really out of an overflow of our desire to live out God's calling in our life, to magnify God's glory uh, by connecting people to God, by living as God's people, by connecting to one another, and by engaging in God's mission, by connecting the gospel people to the gospel in mission, in just faithful mission into uh, the world. And so we're really glad that you're here. Let's go to God's word uh, today. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, or you can follow along on the screen behind me, Colossians chapter 1, we'll be reading in verse 3 to 14. And I want you to be thinking about this passage as it's describing what a gospel community looks like and can look like that is influenced by the truth of God's word. Starting in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is God's word. There's a community of faith that Paul is writing to here in Colossae, the city of Colossae, and he's writing with such gratitude. Can't you see that? He's saying, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so excited for the work that is being done in your lives and the work that is being done from your community of faith. Let me put this in a little perspective for you. He is writing from Rome to Asia, about 1,600 miles away. And he is hearing of this reputation of this church, 1,600 miles away. No social media, no telephone, no FaceTime, no texting, no, 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 there's no quick way of hearing uh, of the news of this church. 
And halfway across the globe, he is hearing of this reputation of this one small church in Asia. It's like us with, with no means of any quick communication, hearing of churches in like Lincoln, Nebraska, Birmingham, Alabama. We can just get on a plane or we can make a phone call. We could send an email and we can get reports back. But here he's hearing about them. It's amazing how this news of their community travels. And Paul knew that what was shaping this community, what would make this community so attractive to the world and so vibrant in their life is the truth of the word of God, which he calls the gospel. The word of the truth. Only the good news of Christ can, can do something like that in a community. Only the good news of Christ can really impact an individual's life that much that it would be so transformational, so attractional, that it, the news of such health would travel across, halfway across the world. So what creates this kind of community? And what does this kind of community look like? And how can we actually hope to be like this kind of community that would be so attractional that people around the world could hear of the work that God is doing in our lives? I'm glad you asked. Because <laughs> that's what we're going to talk about today. Let me give you a definition here. The gospel creates a radical, transformational, and persistent community of faith. Just look at some of these words. Radical, transformational, persistent. These are the features that are found in this early church. This radical, transformational, persistent quality of their life shaped by the gospel that is so different, so unique. They are, they are features of this church, but I'll say to you also that, that Paul is saying, the, the author of this letter, Paul is saying that these are features of every follower of Jesus that is living out of the implications of the word of God's truth, which he calls the gospel. Each person and each community of people that are, that are living out of the gospel will be radical in their life, transformational in their hearts and behaviors, and persistent in their commitment to one another. The, the gospel community is not just for people of a, of a certain personality type, or a certain Enneagram, or a certain Myers-Briggs. The community of God's people is for everyone. We truly believe that no matter how you are wired, whether you are introvert or extrovert or socially awkward, you know who you are, you were created to experience true gospel community. It's not just for certain people. Because the gospel comes into our lives and into our community, and when we're living out the implications of it, it's radical, transformational, it's persistent. So let's look at these three features of the gospel community. The gospel creates a radical community of faith. I love this word. It's not just a word made popular by the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> radical, what does it mean? Merriam-Webster says this, radical means very different from the usual. Sometimes, to have radical views is really good. When the usual view is a distortion of God's truth. And this is exactly what is happening with this community of faith. 
They are doing something so unique, something so different that news is traveling around the world of the life that they're sharing with one another because it is so out of the ordinary. It's so radical. What is so radical about them that Paul touches on and says, this is so different. He says, it is the love that you have for one another. It is the love that you are having for one another in community. This is the big thing that sticks out to him. It is just that they love each other. They love one another. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it, it, it is. Because Paul knows that it's a special kind of love. Maybe you're familiar with the, the Bible's use of the word love. There's, there's four different Greek words for the word love that are used in scripture. There's that romantic love, which is eros. There's the philia love, that's that brotherly love. It's the love of friendship that you have with one another. There's the storge love, which is more like empathy or compassion. It's an emotional love that you feel for others that are maybe going through a hard time. And then there's the agape love. This is the unconditional love. This is the self-giving love. This is the kind of love that loves another person as regarding them and their well-being as better than your own. It is the highest form of love because it is the kind of love with which God has loved us. It is the kind of love that Jesus loved us with when he gave his life for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. It is a self-giving love. Agape love is to love without expectation of return. It is to give your life to another person, not expecting them to give anything back. It is the kind of love when DC Talk calls, says that love is a verb. Okay, you liked that one. Not teenage, okay. So when, he said, when they say love is a verb, he's talking about this kind of love. He's talking about agape love. It's not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. It's not just a, a general disposition of compassion for another person. This kind of love is a love that does. For another person. Agape love is a decision. It is a volitional decision of one person to give themselves to another person in any circumstance, including destructive situations, including when they don't deserve it, including when it's not easy to do. This is the kind of love with which God has loved us. And Paul sees this kind of love in this community, and he says, this is so radical. It's the kind of love spoken about God in Colossians 2, just the next chapter here. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood between stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In the worst of circumstances, he forgives our debts. He gives us new life, especially when we were sinful, guilty, full of shame, spiritually dead, impure in all ways. This is when God shows his love towards us. And he said, and Paul is saying, now you're doing it with one another. This is so out of the usual for how people treat each other. It's amazing. You're treating each other the same way that God has treated you. And Jesus even told his disciples, 
the world will know that you love me. The world will know that you follow me when you love each other the way I have loved you. And Paul is so excited because they are doing that. It's not the way the world treats one another. This is so radical. It's out of the ordinary. It's very different from the usual. And yet this is exactly what the gospel does. The gospel points us to Jesus and how he died for our sins and he made a decision to not hold our sins against us. He made a decision to give his life for us when we didn't deserve it. He made a decision to to be faithful to his promise even when we broke every promise that we made to him. The gospel points us to love our enemies, not to seek vengeance against them. It, it also creates relationships of service with one another where we give our lives to each other rather than selfishness. Since Jesus died for his enemies, including us, we're free to love others as he has loved us. It removes pride and, and it removes fear or a sense of moral superiority over others, thinking that there are some people that don't deserve us to, to love them because we see how God has loved us. And we say, who is deserving of this kind of love? No one. Because we're saved by grace, not what we, by what we've been accomplished or what we've done, not by our character or record. We are loved unconditionally and God gives himself radically to us. And so this makes us humble. And so our disposition towards one another is different. It's quite unusual from how the world treats each other. In this way, the, the Christian community is, is not so much like a program of the church, but it's, a, it's an expression of the gospel. The community, the gospel community, is, a, is an actual expression of our Christian identity. Think about it. It's so natural to think of community as a category, as a program of the church. You know, we have prayer as a category. We have Bible reading as a category. We have sharing our faith or going to Sunday worship. We have uh, going to a, a life group uh, midweek. These are all like programs and categories. The gospel community can be treated like that. It can be treated just like a, another ball that we are juggling in our lives of so many other things that we juggle. And then, and then when life gets really difficult, it's the first thing that falls. The first thing that falls so that we can give attention to other things is the community that God has called us to. And this passage and many others discuss community. They don't speak of community like a category or an event that the church puts on, but rather a core expression that is lived out of the brought together people of God. A core expression of God's people is that they live in this kind of self-giving community with one another. He doesn't say, I'm so thankful for you. Word has traveled across the world that you're reading your Bible or that you're praying or that you're getting together in weekly life groups or that you're, you're, you guys are adding your, your uh, notches in your belt for all the good things that you're doing or getting new church badges. He's not saying, great job, keep up the good work. You're balancing life so well. He is not thankful that they're balancing their life so well. He marvels at the fact that they have deep love for one another and this love is pushing them into life with each other in ways that are so radical and so unusual. He marvels at the fact that they're giving themselves sacrificially and unconditionally to each other. And it can only be done, this can only be done when the radical grace of God takes deep root 
in our hearts. It can only be done unless we are pursuing radical community with each other. You see, Christian community, it's more than a social club. It's more than a support group. It's meant to act like this alternate society that goes beyond mere fellowship to embody the kind of culture that gives anyone looking into our culture an opportunity to see people united in love and showing the world an entirely different way of viewing every aspect of life. Could the world look into our community and say, what is going on here? Why are you treating each other like that? Could the world look in and say, this is something entirely unique and unusual. The, what, your affection for one another, your acts towards each other, your self-giving commitment to each other. And yet that's what the gospel truly creates, is a radical community. The gospel creates a radical community, but also a, a transformational community. And this is the great encouragement. It actually changes us, changes us from the inside out. Verse three to eight is a, a great rejoicing, uh, it, what they have in community with one another. And then verse nine to 12 uh, Paul, uh, that we read, Paul is now praying for them that they would grow in, in developing certain characteristics in their life. He's saying, you're doing this so well. And I pray that it would continue so much that you would be continually changed in your life, transformed in your life. Community has the, the ability to both reveal what we believe about that is important in life, but it also has the ability to develop what we believe in our life. Think of a thermostat. This is what a thermostat does, right? You, you go over to thermostat, it has two functions. It tells you the condition of the, the atmosphere in the room, but it also sets the condition of the atmosphere in the room. I can go over to a thermostat and I can tell you the temperature in this room. But I can also adjust it and manipulate it and change it so that it changes and transforms the environment. This is what gospel community does. It has two functions. It's very true that we become like the people we hang out with the most. And Paul says that he prays that they would grow in knowledge and wisdom and understanding so that together they can walk in ways that please Jesus, that pleases Jesus. The Christian community molds us. The Christian community has a way of shaping us and transforming us. It is in this context of community where we confess our sins to one another, we are vulnerable with one another, where we share our joys and our struggles and our griefs and sorrows. It's where we pray. It's where we correct behavior. It's where we confront and we, it is where we change and grow. It is where our attitudes and behaviors are, are encouraged to be more like Jesus. It is where we share burdens and carry one another's sorrows. It is where we laugh. It's where we play. It is where we celebrate. If you were committed to learning Spanish, there'd be a point where you would have to leave the classroom. You would have to go beyond the intellectual knowledge of the language, and you would need to go to Mexico or some other, other country that speaks Spanish, and you would need to immerse yourself in this culture 
to know and understand this language. You'd have to live in Spain for a year. You'd have to go live with a family that speaks Spanish. You would need to change your environment to grow in this way. And this is important. We all know that, but it's also really uncomfortable. It's hard to do that. It's hard to put to practice the things that we know are true. But if you want to walk with Jesus, there will be a time where you must start walking with other people. There must be a time that you get out of your, your own environment of just you and Jesus and live it out with other people, and that is scary. That's hard to put yourself out there like that. You see, life, life together is not just merely for the extrovert or the friendless or the person that just has a lot of time on their hands. It is for the follower of Jesus who wants to grow. The church is for the follower of Jesus who wants to grow. There is no greater or more important means of growing in Christian character and behavior than deep involvement in the Christian community. Separation from Christian community is the beginning of spiritual decay in one's life. I see it all the time. Isolation from the community of faith is often the very beginning of a long season of fruitlessness in one's life. I don't have time for this community. I, I don't have the energy for it. I've got so much going on. And you watch that person's life and they will slowly decay in their relationship with God. I wish it weren't this way. I really wish it weren't to say, if anyone is the kind of person that says, just Jesus and me until he comes back, it would be me. I, I'm telling you, it, I wish it weren't this way. I wish I didn't need you. <laughs> okay? We edit that out a little bit. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> but I do need you. If I want my relationship with God to get stronger, I need you in my life. And you need me, and we need each other. It just cannot be done. It's not just an, it, it, this is the way that God has structured it. Because it flows from his own identity. That he has this kind of loving, self-giving communion and community with himself, within the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally existing in this plurality and community together with perfect love, perfect honor, perfect glory. But we are not called to be ones that do it alone. We are not called to be that because that's not who God is. He calls us into the very kind of relationship that he has with himself. To neglect Christian community is to neglect your own growth. That's why Paul prays for patience and endurance. Isn't that fitting? Well, this is going to be really hard. A lot of patience and endurance. He says, yeah, that's, I'm getting to that. I'm going to pray for you for that. Have you ever been in a relationship that never required patience and endurance? No, of course not. It is no different in any relation. It's no different in your relationship with God. It is no different in your relationship with others in the church. Patience and endurance. To give up on the Christian community 
is always at the expense of your spiritual growth. And that brings us to the final feature. The feature of this gospel community. It is a persistent community. You see Paul's reasoning here? Don't you see the logic in this? I love that you love each other. I'm going to pray for your patience. Keep going. I'm going to pray for your endurance in this. Let's read that again in verse 11 to 12. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Why does Paul remind this church who is experiencing such wonderful community to endure with gratitude? I mean, why is he praying for these things? It would seem that they'd be like, hey, we're good. You just told us how good we're doing. And he says, but you're gonna need this because there will come a day when it's not as good, where it'll be difficult to love. It'll be difficult to endure. It'll It'll be difficult to be committed because building community that God desires for us is not natural. It is so unnatural. It is not natural. It is not easy. It is, and in our present circumstances, we don't have great modeling in our culture for how to do this well. And especially it's difficult under the temptation of our sinful desires to think about ourselves, to make the spiritual realities of the gospel only inward Living out the gospel and building good community requires intentionality much greater than our own ability. God wants to create something in our church that we literally cannot do on our own strength. Something so radical, something so transformational, something that allows us to be so committed and persistent in love for him and love for one another that news travels around the world and gives glory to God, and says, only God can do this. Experiencing this kind of gospel community requires the gospel itself. And the gospel is, if anything, persistent. The gospel is, if anything, enduring, committed, faithful, long-suffering. These are the attributes of God's love for us. Love is always patient. Love is always kind. And you remember the end, right? never gives up. The love of God is steadfast and faithful and enduring and and long-suffering. And what is this gospel that we are directed to? It's an act of God's grace where we have been transferred from a spiritual darkness and into his spiritual light, into this spiritual condition with Christ that is full of life, that is full of his love, that is full of his joy, he says, look at where you were. You were taken out of, you were plucked out of this, this place of darkness, despair, and spiritual death. And now you have the riches of heaven that have been promised to you. You've been brought into this relationship with God. That is what drives us. Isn't that amazing? Without a deep understanding and gratitude for this grace, it, we, will, we will engage in Christian community in, for one of two reasons. If we don't have the gospel motivating us to be in community, we will be motivated by one of two things. One, shame. Out of a sense of shame or guilt, 
saying, well, I guess it's the right thing to do. I suppose I should do this. I have to be there. I guess I'll go. I don't want to disappoint. I don't want to, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to be a bad Christian, and so I will, I will do it. It's the right thing to do, to labor through it week after week, because you'll feel like a bad Christian if you don't do it. That's one motivation. Another motivation is pride. How could pride motivate community and being a part of community? Pride's what leads you to be in comparison with other people. It's what leads you to give a sense that you have, that you have earned your approval with God by the things you do. And so it's easy to say, I go to church every week and I'm involved in community and, 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 and I always prioritize it. And I'm gonna keep doing that because I have a standard to live up to for myself and for others. Because I don't wanna be like one of those people who slack off. You're being motivated by pride to be a part of community, really to boost your own self-esteem. What is the motivating factor here from Paul that he says should, should motivate our community? Gratitude. Gratitude. How many of you woke up this morning thankful to come to church today? How many of you got the kids dressed and ushered out the door and sped down the road and how many of you said, I'm so thankful? How many of you got here through the doors and, were, and the, the, the thing on the top of your mind was gratitude for all that God had done for you? Seeing no show of hands, let's move on. Isn't that amazing? Gratitude is the motivating factor to give our lives to others. Gratitude for how God has given his life to us. Let me give you the, the number one reason to show up for worship, to show up for community, to sacrifice your freedoms and your privileges for others. Not shame, not pride, not guilt, not reward. Gratitude. Grateful that we are not dependent on the approval of others for our standing with God and therefore don't need to be afraid of commitment. Grateful that we have ourselves experienced the radical, unnatural grace of God through repentance and faith. Grateful that our sins have been forgiven and that we have been become this foundation. It has become this foundation for our lives. His grace, his love is the motivating factor in everything. We do not engage in community to bolster our own self-image. We do not engage in community because we feel guilty. We engage in community because Jesus has called us out of a relationship of darkness and despair with the world and into a relationship of joy with him. We were once strangers and now we are called his children. We were once enemies and now we are called his friends. And that gratitude drives our community with others. Our love for community with others can be tied directly to our personal enjoyment in the grace of God. Show me someone who hates the Christian community. I will show you someone who has yet to see the loving gospel reach deep parts of their life. The gospel transforms our life of self-dependency into a life knit together on mission with others, motivated by gratitude and love. 
Our position with God, as Paul says, is due to this alien righteousness. It is something that is from the outside that has come into our lives. It's changed us. It, it changed us. It's nothing that we have found within ourselves and mustered up something within ourselves to love community. It's a righteous identity that has been passively given, not actively earned. It has been given by grace. It is received through faith. It comes from the outside. And then God then permits Christians as his brought together people, as his new gathering, his new family, to meet together in community that would otherwise have no reason to be together. All we, all we can say then is what, I love what Diedrich Bonhoeffer says in his famous book, Life Together. He says this, Christian community springs solely from the gospel message of salvation by grace alone. This alone is the basis of the longing for Christians to have community with one another. Without Christ, we would not know one another. The way, we, the way would be blocked by our own ego. We would get in the way. We do get in the way of experiencing rich gospel community. It's us. It is us. It is our own egos. And so moving to two services at Holy Cross is a way for us, I believe, to express our love for a God who has brought us together and to do what we can to make those doors wide open for others to experience it. That we may not become famous around the world, but we want our community to be so famous within our community, famous within our city, famous within our neighborhoods, that people would see our community and see a love that is so radical see spiritual and behavioral transformation that is so refreshing and to see a commitment for one another that is so persistent and so unlike anything they've ever seen that they could not help but want to know this Jesus we follow. That's what two services allows us to do even more. So here's my pitch. If you want to be a part of our imperfect, messy, unpredictable, sometimes annoying, yet growing in the gospel together community. Welcome. <laughs> then prioritize this community of faith. Because that's what we're welcomed into, one that requires a radical transformation and is long-suffering and persistent with one another. Like I mentioned last week, our, our ministry teams are praying for people to use their gifts, to give of their lives and their time. I mean, we're not asking for much. We're asking for uh, some, some energy, some, some gifting, some joy, some gratitude in this growing community that God has blessed us with. Teaching the gospel to kids, teaching stranger, uh, treating strangers like friends as we greet them in our hospitality, working with tech and worship. We would love your help. Here's our desire with two services. And you've seen it in different places. Worship one, serve one. You know, we aren't keeping track. I don't know, clipboard with tally marks to see and actually who's staying for both services. Oh, they just worshiped one and they didn't serve one this week, you know. You know, maybe it won't even happen every week for you. I'd actually invite some of you to actually attend worship service, uh, both services sometimes. Yeah, I mean, go to the nine o'clock here and then come back for the 1045. 
Why? Because the first few weeks, maybe even few months, are going to be super awkward. It is. I just want to invite you into that. I want you to have the best expectations. There will be one service where it'll feel full, and the next service, it, it, it will be like nine people. And so it's, it's not to manipulate the numbers or make it look, it's, it's to help that awkwardness feel a little less awkward. I love, when we did this uh, several years ago, it, it worked. It was great. This may be a way that you can serve. So I, some of you had said, I literally have said this to me in, in these last few weeks. I, I have no gifts. <laughs> it's true. I am good at nothing. You're really good at having a low self-esteem. Okay, so for the, all the ungifted people, just come to the service twice. <laughs> Here's my hope. That we would be a church so filled with gratitude for God's grace that our love for one another would be so unusual, that our spiritual and behavioral transformation would be so evident that our commitment to one another will be so persistent in spite of difficulties. This is what changes our communities. And this is actually what changes us. God has made it this way. Let it be our attitude. Our attitude when we come together to be grateful for what God has given. Let us open up our lives, as scary as it is, to being vulnerable and courageous to sharing our struggles, to asking for prayer, to praying for others, to involving ourselves in the gaps of people's lives so that we have opportunity to actually love like Jesus loves us. And it ultimately comes from our ability to rest in the grace of God for us, surrendering our lives to him. And then this will overflow into a life that glorifies him. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.